go. Here we go. It is the 1st of October. We've made it. Made it. Through September. Oh, a lot of people talk about that, you know. Ticking time. Time keeps keeps on ticking. Uh, some people even say into the future. They're hearing that when I was growing up. Time keeps ticking in the future. Good morning, Eric. Good to see ya. September's gone, guys. Who could have could have seen it fly by this fast? Um, that's crazy. Crazy fast. Crazy fast. Oh, man. One thing I want to think about, you know, I was thinking about October 1st, thinking about these guys, right? But I can play. I can't play anymore than that. That might even be too much for a copyright strike. I don't know. Wake me up when September ends. Green Day? Green Day. Time to get up. Wake up, Green Day. It's it's time to go. Time to get to work, Green Day. September has ended. It's time to wake you up. Oh, what? What's going on in the news? Today, Anthem got zapped. They got to pay a fine. Telos has discovered uh, vulnerability in NVIDIA drivers. Linkery, uh, who could have suspected that an adware company would not be acting honorably? Uh, they got caught distributing malware. And, uh, and that rounds it. Oh, and operational technology. Operational technology on the forefront today. Talking about... Can we make a leap forward now that we're in this COVID-19 situation? Can we can we can we jump forward? Can we fix things that have been a problem in the past? Can we correct problems in OT that have exist, exist in the past? I say I say can we fix IT problems at the same time? IT and OT corrections. Let's fix them. Let's get them corrected. Why not? Right? Um, I don't know. Let's get them. Let's get them taken care of. Fixing OT, fixing IT. Got an article from Dark Reading. As you know, Dark Reading has made this show every day this week. Dark Reading, you got it going on, folks. Got it going on. Oh, that and your daily grind. What is going on with you guys? What's going on uh, now that we're getting towards the end of the year? What's going on? We're moving into the fourth quarter. Uh, government is moving into a new year, a brand new year. Government is so far ahead of us. They're already in 2021 today. Happy New Year's Day, U.S. government. New Year's Day for you. Fiscal year has started, and you're off and running to a yet another year. See if you'll get a budget this year. So, we've got a lot of stuff going on. You tell me what you got to finish. Have you started new projects because it is the fiscal year for the government? Or are you just keep pushing that rock up the hill? What's your challenges? What's the goals? What's going to happen? What, how are you going to make security better? That's what I want to know. Let's throw the intro up here, and we'll be back to talk about the news. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. Oh, first up, I guess first up was Green Day, but that's not, that's not who we're here to talk about. We're talking about people doing stuff in security, people doing stuff around risk, people doing stuff in cyber. Or, as Anthem found out, if you don't do it, you know, it's probably going to come back to haunt you one way or another. In the age we're living in, a couple things are going to happen. One, you're going to have a breach. That may lead to all kinds of other things. Uh, top of the list, obviously, right now is ransomware. That's one reason. Should be a good reason to secure your systems. Get things taken care of. Now, fix those problems you've had. Use ransomware as your banner if you've got to. 
don't use you know fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Go in there with the facts. Tell leadership we've got to fix things that are broken. If you've got problems in your organization, you need to fix them. Anthem Inc. Anthem Incorporated. It's a story by Reuters International. Anthem Incorporated said on Wednesday it would pay 39.5 million as part of a settlement with the U.S. state's attorney following investigation of a massive cyber attack at the company in 2015. This thing was huge, guys. Huge. And we'll talk about that, how big it was. Second largest U.S. health insurer said that a state-sponsored criminal group, we read that as APT, right? State-sponsored criminal group had perpetrated this dastardly deed, perpetrated this attack, adding that it does not believe the company had violated the law in connection with its data security. Well, I'm going to tell Anthem. Anthem, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm not the lawyer there. Uh, this is not legal advice. I'm going to guess you've got PII, personally identifiable information, and PHI, personal health information, because you're a health insurer. Um, violating a law in connection with data security, I'm going to assume you probably violated HIPAA, and you're hiding behind the fact that you didn't know. Didn't know. Um, February 2015, several U.S. states began a, began a probe. Several states began a probe. Not one, several. After the company disclosed that that unknown hackers, but they're unknown, but we know they're state-sponsored, had penetrated a database with 80 million records. 80 million. Anthem said that it suspected the hackers had stolen information belonging to tens of millions of current and former employee, uh, customers, as well as employees. Anthem. Anthem, Anthem. Your health insurer. I know you know you've got PAI and PHI. And I know security people have told you that. Risk people have told you that in the past. You get a breach. Stolen information belonging to tens of millions, tens of millions of current and former customers was stolen, and you don't think you have to report that. Come on, man. This is, this is the, which one is it? No effing way. Yeah, this is a no effing way. You guys knew it. They knew it, and, and we didn't know. We, we didn't know. That's crazy. The investigation by FBI and the security organization FireEye Inc. did not find any evidence that the information obtained through the cyber attack attack resulted in fraud. They took tens of millions of records. And the FBI is saying, well, we didn't have any evidence. What's what's the evidence um, that the cyber attack resulted in frauds? You don't know. Who knows what they're doing with this data? I don't even know who the state state-sponsored attackers. Which APT was this? Reuters leaving a lot of information out. I, I, I know the FBI knows more of this information than they're letting go. Um, Somebody should fry for that one. Somebody, some chief security officer, some chief, chief executive officer at Anthem should be paying the price for this one. Tens of millions of records. Somebody needs to be, somebody, it, it'll be sacrificial. You guys will see. Next couple days, week or two, you'll see a sacrificial Anthem employee either touted on the news or maybe they're going to be going out silently through the back door. Somebody's going to get take the fall for this. It's not going to be the CEO. It's not probably not going to be the CSO. Should be. Should be the CEO. They're ultimately responsible, right? They're the ones cutting the bill, paying the bill for security. Morning, Paul. Good to see you. Jumped right in the middle of the Anthem rant. Anthem. The next one's not so big. This is a short story. Telos Vulnerability Spotlight. This has come from Telos, Cisco company. Uh, recently discovered a remote code execution vulnerabilities in the NVIDIA D3D10 driver. Um, yeah. Um, supports multiple GPU in NVIDIA products. 
Adversary could exploit these vulnerabilities by supplying the user with malform shader. We've seen this shader vulnerability before, allowing them to execute code on the victim's machine. In accordance with our coordinated disclosure policy, Cisco Telos worked with NVIDIA to ensure these issues were resolved and an update is available for the affected consumers. This is CVE 2020-5981. Uh, exploitable code execution vulnerability exists in the NVGW. Move functionality, MOV functionality, MOV functionality. The NVIDIA D3D10 driver. And uh, they get the version there. 42.50-26.21.14.4250. Attacker can use this vulnerability to guest to host escape. If you guys don't know what that means, that's a bad one. If they can get this one, if they can pull this one off, guest to host escape. That means if you're running your uh, system as a vulnerable machine, as a vulnerable machine, as a virtual machine to avoid vulnerabilities on your main host machine, this vulnerability can be used to get out of that host and get to the underlying, or get out of that guest. Man, hold on a second. Mm, there we go. To get out of the guest and get to the host machine, a vulnerability that exploits a virtual machine escape uh, through Hyper-B Remote FX. So, getting out of the, breaking out of the virtual machine, we don't don't like that. Um, Telos tested and confirmed the vulnerability affects the NVIDIA D3D10 driver, and the, I gave you the, the version. Big thing here, thing I wanted to point out with this one, and it, obviously it's NVIDIA's out there. NVIDIA's huge. They make a lot of graphics cards. Made a lot of, a lot of GPUs for gamers. Uh, big into that. Huge, huge into the gamer world. If you're a gamer, you probably might. Chances are you have an NVIDIA card. Um, that makes some pretty good stuff. The question is, how many, how many of you guys, you know, guys, guys being gender neutral, how many of you folks out there you know, we're, we're patching our operating system, right? We scan and patch. We, we patch our applications, hopefully, pan, scan and patch those things as well, including the stuff beyond Microsoft Office. I'm talking about patching other stuff like notorious things like Adobe um, Reader and its 55 versions you have installed on your computer. How often are you going out looking at the drivers? Are you updating your drivers? We talked yesterday about updating your hardware and your firmware your stuff like that you know if you can't update the hardware update the firmware on it keep it up to date keep it as up to date as you can are you going in are you looking at your your, your, at your drivers are you looking at your drivers uh, that's software too man drivers are software they can have bugs in them and this one does this one has a pretty bad bug um bad guys use these exploits to their advantage um so first of all, you got to know you have an NVIDIA card on your computer. It might not be a card. It may be built into the motherboard. And then you've got to know that you're running this driver. And then you got to go update it. Probably not going to show up in a vulnerability scan unless you've got a vulnerability scanner. I don't know about. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe they are scanning drivers now. Oh, it would be nice if they were. I know a lot of times driver at the driver level doesn't doesn't get to the driver level, but I can see it being able to scan at that level. I don't see why not. Any vulnerability scanners out there? I haven't done vulnerability scanning in a long time. Can the vulnerability scanning detect a driver that needs to be patched? Tell me. Tell me in the show notes. Can a, can you scan with Nessus? Can you scan with Qualys? Can you scan with whatever? iRetina, can you scan and determine that your drivers are out of date? Alex, I was waiting for some comments this morning. Got to get my day going. Uh, <laughs> drivers, we should just give up and concede the bad guys. Move to a log, log cabin with no electricity. We well, could have electricity, you just can't be plugged into the grid, right? You have those bikes that power your house with a bike, uh, something like that. I do have, you know, you guys, we talk about some of the stuff you do in your spare time. 
I have a guilty pleasure of walk, watching the show called Doomsday Preppers. Um, some of these guys are crazy. Some of these off the chain. Some are fairly rational in their explanation of what they're doing and why they're doing it. You get the whole spectrum in this. And the, the premise of the show is they find someone that's prepping for some doomsday thing. It could be anything from the zombie apocalypse to financial collapse of the, of the country. And then they, they walk through how they're preparing for this. You know, do they have a mobile, mobile vehicle that they're going to drive around in? Do they get a cabin in West Virginia? Whatever. And they evaluate them, and then they give them a score. And early on, the scores were like, you know, um, low. They're always low. <laughs> and lowered. And the people would always complain about it. Oh, man, no, well, I don't believe them. Um, the recent ones, they're like, yeah, I believe what these guys are saying, and I'm going to make improvements and whatever. So probably a difference in the way they're producing the show reaction but pretty funny pretty fun show to watch if you're like looking to just burn some time obviously um seeing people how they're preparing for the end of end of days so alex at that point you know end of days you won't need to worry about your nvidia driver being updated it's probably the last thing you're going to worry about but as security professionals as security folks we need to worry about how we're patching stuff so you're right alex there's a a a, a vast um there's a cornucopia. We're getting ready. We're getting close to Thanksgiving. That's cornucopia of patches we need to apply. Operating system, application, firmware, um, drivers, on and on and on. Um, it's not an easy job. So <laughs> how are you tackling this? Um, how is your vulnerability management team and your patch management team working through these things? You know, I think, uh, you know, in some ways, this is an opportunity for cloud to come in and kind of save the day in some ways. Because with cloud, we can have an operating system up and running, and we know there's a bunch of vulnerabilities in it. We can spin up another exact version of that, get it all patched and up and up to date, make sure it works right, and then just slide it over, replace the one. I think they call that, uh, you know, someplace they call that repaving. You don't worry about patching the one that's running. You just build a brand new one, and you just replace it. You just overwrite what you're doing. It's got everything you need. Lots of lots of lots of uh, capabilities in the cloud. Lots of capabilities. That's for sure. These guys, these guys have lots of capabilities too, but it's on the dark side. Connect, interact, monetize. I should really put that monitor over there. It would make a lot more sense when I look at it. But the monitor there, I look at. Makes me look like I'm not, not looking. Yeah, I can't. It's underneath stuff over there. I'm about to. It's a bigger, bigger issue than than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. So Linkery, Linkery. These guys. Can you believe it? Uh, Linkery or Safe Finder installations links to infections. Uh, with Sculpt. Scholars and K-Pot Info Sealer Trojans. Can you believe an adware company is not following the rules? So these guys are an adware company. They, they, they put, you know, when you when you go download something from the internet, there that that button that pops up that says, hey, when you install this, whatever, you're also going to get, you know, safe search or, or something, right? And you got to unclick that. So you don't get the garbage installed on your computer. That's these guys. That's these guys right here. So an AdWord family known primarily for distributing power hijackers has been caught distributing full-blown malware. So some security researchers said in a talk to Virus Bulletin 2020, uh, Virus Bulletin 2020 Security Conference. It's a ZDNet story. What's dangerous about Linkberry is how it uses the adware front as a gateway to propagate malware, said Arun Kamur, um, uh, some malware analyst from the Indian security firm K7 Computing. You know how bad I am at pronouncing people's names, so I'm going to leave those alone. It walks a very fine line between typical adware and malware, and we have seen how it can switch sides based on geolocale. So where it's installed at, 
can either be malware or it can be adware. Probably worried about laws in certain countries. Prior to K7's virus bulletin presented today, Linkery was primarily known as an adware operation. The widget is usually bundled, bundled with other free apps as a secondary installer or distributed via online ad redirects uh, that redirect, redirects internet users to the safe widget download page. Installing the safe finder extension would usually change the user's default browser set search and home tab settings, but also install additional binaries based on the, the uh, user's country. So, you know, this is that, y'all remember this. You remember it from the 90s and the early 2000s. You install something cool and all of a sudden your, your browser is some weird browser. You, or your your search engine, some weird search engine, and your your homepage. When you go to homepage, it takes you some weird homepage, and every time you search for something, it goes through this search engine, this malware or this adware crap, and that's what these guys are. In most cases, these binaries would uh, be other apps for which the developers paid a fee to be included in the Safe Binder installation process. So yeah, we talked about this when you get stuff for free. When you get stuff for free, you're not getting stuff for free, guys. Uh, tell your friends. You Tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, you're not getting that stuff for free. K7 researchers say that in recent cases, they analyzed the Safe Finder widget, and it's now been also installing full-blown legitimate malware, such as these Trojans we talked about earlier, Soklars and Kpot. In other cases, the operation also dropped versions of the Opera browser on infected hosts, which, hosts, which they started silently operating in the system's background to deliver pop-up ads and generate profit for the linkery operators. They also use SafeBinder widget to force install ex extensions into the user's browsers. Furthermore, K7 researchers also noted SafeBinder installer also contained many features specific to malware, such as PowerShell scripts to disable Windows Defender, and functions to detect when the installer was executed inside a virtual machine and sandbox environments, usually used for malware analysis, which it obviously wanted to avoid. And last but not least, last but not least, uh, Linkery's SafeBinder widget had no intention of honoring users' choices when uh, its installer specifically designed to install its payload, even if the user tried to avoid installation process uh, such as pressing no on the button. So a little pop-up says, you know, I, you know, first you get the, the, the Safe Finder wizard. Hey, do you want to install this or do you want to, you know, that EULA, accept or decline? Well, when you click decline, you get the pop-up that says, are you sure you want to continue? Or, uh, are you sure? Question mark. Do you want to continue the installation? And you get a choice, yes or no, a pop-up, a modal box. For those programmers, modal box pop-up, it can't, can't go away till you make a choice. And in this case, you click yes or you click no, and it's going to install its crap. So yeah, not, not good. Nothing is free. Tell your friends. Tell your family. They go out and they get that stuff. When they get the stuff, nothing is free. You just have to determine. You have to figure out what are you giving up to use the thing, right? If you're watching this on YouTube, you know you're giving up some of your information to YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. All, all of them are in business to serve you ads and get information from you. That's the price you pay for using those. This one, the price you pay is gonna be, at a minimum, you're gonna get a bunch of adware. On the other side of the maximum, you're gonna get a Trojan installed or worse. Who's to say, you know, they're selling their, they're selling the service to other companies. Who's to say they don't sell it to someone who installs a helper file that's going to pull down ransomware? I'm not saying they're doing that. I'm just saying, why wouldn't they? Why couldn't they? Bad juju, man. Think about what you're doing. We've got to be critically thinking when we install stuff on our computers. What comes with it? Read the reviews. Read other people's reactions to using the thing. Don't just click and click and install. Sometimes this thing, you know, it looks like this thing 
you know, some it looks like one of the ways this thing gets installed is when you go to one of those sites to get something else, and there's that big install button that, and then you got to go scroll down 55 other pages to get the actual install button. That sounds like this is part of the way this thing gets installed. So that's from our friends at ZDNet telling us about that one. Um, paper. Um, so while cybersecurity companies like Malwarebytes, Microsoft, and Trend Micro, Micro are currently detecting linkery operations as adware, so it'll show up as adware, um, these researchers argue the case for flagging it as malware is strong based on the evidence presented in their paper. If you go to our link in our show notes, the, the link in our show notes, the collective us, you can grab their paper and check it out. See what you think for yourself, Linkery. You, you sneaky guys, you sneaky fellas. And last on our list of things to talk about this morning, and we talked about this for OT versus IT. Um, what is OT? And in this case, we're not talking about IoT, Internet of Things. We're talking about... Uh, operations technology or operational technology, depending on what school of thought you come from. This is our story from Dark Reading. Dark Reading's getting Dark Reading's getting good some good high points today uh, or this week. So COVID-19 has changed the way we do a lot of things, right? Um, the article, this article, John Livingston put this thing together. Commentary. Crisis mode operators need to reduce on-site personnel putting a greater strain on their limited resources at plant at the plant and requiring increase in external connectivity for those networks at the same time cases of ransomware and vulnerabilities associated with industrial control systems or ICS are growing rapidly so when we talk about OT we're talking about stuff like the shop floor we're talking about those robots that make cars we're talking about pharmaceutical robots. We're talking about robots that build things. We're talking about operations. We're not, the information technology is moving information around. It's dealing with reports. It's dealing with databases. It's dealing with, you know, the, the processing of fund transfers. Uh, information. Operational technology or operations technology is, is making things generally. It's robots. It's it's devices that create things. They, they generally have been put in place to make our lives easier and make it so you don't have a factory worker that has to you know chain up an engine and put it in a car. Now a robot does it, or as we probably all have seen, robots that paint cars. Um, that's what OT is, right? And it's always been, if, if any of you, and I know there's a lot of people out here in the DMV area or DC, Maryland, and Virginia, a lot of us out here have been around the intelligence community, uh, the DOD and some of the sensitive systems. They have a process called air gapping. That means that their network is not connected to a normal network, right? Sometimes it's not connected to anything. It's just a system on its own. It's not connected to another network. It functions on its own. It's air gapped, meaning there is, there's no cable connecting the two things together. When you bring a document over, you have to air gap. You walk it over. You put it on some type of media, thumb drive, uh, CD, something to move it from the normal IT network to the intelligence community network. You have to air gap it. That's the way these operational technology, these SCADA devices, these where these ICSs, these industrial systems, this OT networks used to be. They used to be air gapped. They were on their own network. Think about this in power plants and things like that. They were on their own networks. They didn't connect to a normal IP network. And they normally used a totally different protocol structure. They didn't use the IP structure. They used a different structure. They used different technologies to work. Um, but over time, normally people said, uh, normally it was leadership. They said, I want to know how many widgets we're making. So connect my computer on my desktop here at the headquarters to the factory floor and I want to see how many widgets are coming out. So some IT guy said, I can make it happen, man. I will do it. And apparently the security guy was not there that day. He took the day off. And they plugged the cable in, plugged the cable in, and now the, the executive can 
type on his computer, figure out how many widgets are being made, and they're good to go. But now there's this bridge across into a, a network that was never supposed to be connected to anything. And then we expand on that. We say, okay, well, then if that connection's made, then we can also, you know, make people, you don't have to go to the shop floor to run the robot anymore. You can do it from headquarters. Well, if you can do it from headquarters, now with COVID-19, I can do it from home. I don't have to go to the shop floor anymore to do the stuff I was doing. So more people, so in, in that way it works well, but there's problems, right? Uh, industrial Control Systems, ICS, and Operations Technology, OT, Cybersecurity, uh, are well-known. Sensitive devices, limited resources, risk to operation, and the oft-repeated question, why bother We, <laughs> if we aren't connected to the Internet? Uh, all the, Some of the things that OT folks deal with, some of you guys probably deal with these same exact questions. But the crisis opens doors to new possibilities. No longer does the air-gapped argument exist realistically. OT and ICS endpoints are clearly at risk. Yet asset visibility and security are also now feasible. Uh, how do you avoid wasting the opportunity that comes from this crisis? Don't waste the opportunity of a good crisis, right? That's what this guy's saying. Um, then he goes, he's got four points, right? Below is a four-step guide that security leaders can follow to significantly change the direction of OT security so that we can emerge from this pandemic. Entire systems will now be more secure and efficient process will be created to, to keep them that way. So he's saying, hey, if we're going to be in this situation anyways, let's take this chance to fix the problems we have, right? So first step is don't settle. Don't settle for the near-term fix, right? And it's one thing is like, you know, near-term fix is secure remote access, which is a fix, right? We want to pr provide secure remote access. Over the past six months, the demand for these solutions has doubled within its client base. However, Secure remote access alone is not sufficient. So he's saying, okay, we can get that's part of the part of the thing. We can fix it. That's part of part of what we need to fix. Achieving security requires perimeter perimeter protection, but endpoint protections within the perimeter are also critical. Patching, user and account management, software and configuration management, all these things are necessary parts of securing the industrial environment. The crisis, offers the, the crisis offers an opportunity to, for security leaders to break through the former reaction of we're not connected and push to apply more comprehensive security management across the OT environment. Yeah, use this to not only, not only tell them, hey, we can have a secure remote connection, but hey, we also need to do these other things to make sure the environment is secure. Step two, leverage security to enable business operational outcomes. Uh, goes on to say, usually an agonizingly slow process, COVID-19 has caused a five to 10 year acceleration in the pace of remote plant support. However, many technologies and security initiatives required to safely enable the shift have yet to be implemented. Now is the opportunity to help deliver business outcomes and increase security maturity simultaneously. Many ways that foundational elements of security management can improve the efficiency and reliability of plant operations. Two examples include centralized asset visibility and automated security management, right? So uh, stuff we've done, stuff we've fought with, stuff people are still fighting with in the IT world is know what you've got, you know, centralized asset visibility. We fight this, and, and when I was doing consulting, many times I'd go to an organization and say, okay, where's your list of hardware and software? You know, where is the list of things you have? And that's, if you look at the SAN, it's the CIS now, the SANS top 20, number one is, you know, have a, a accurate listing of your hardware. Number two is have an accurate listing of your software. Know your, know your assets, know where they're at. 
including, uh, it's not included in that, but including your information assets. So have it centralized. We fight that. Uh, I know, the, the story is I, I would go to a lot of places and they would say, here's either here's my list of stuff, and then we'd do a scan of the network, and there would be 10% more out there that they didn't know about, or they just didn't know. We don't know what we've got. Uh, and hardware and software. So they're saying this is, a, this is a problem on the OT side as well. Get a centralized, centralized one CMDB, configuration management database, have all your stuff in it. And then use automated security management. Um, this you know, Automation can significantly improve operation operator's efficiency. They call it think globally, act locally approach. Action can be designed centrally with plant personnel controlling automation to ensure the actions only happen at the right time after the right sequence of testing. Our clients regularly said they have about 40% of labor having operator-controlled automation, accomplishing actions that normally take four weeks in a merely few hours. So build automation, build it at the enterprise level, but have it so it can be operated at the plant level, right? Step number three, make on-time Step function increases to OT security. Conducting OT vulnerability assessments over the last decade, we have consistently discovered thousands of missing patches, insecurely configured assets, dozens of shared or dormant accounts, unused or risky ports and services. In every case, the one-time cleanup is needed to create a step change improvement and create a new baseline in security maturity. Now is a great time to reset that. Proactive elements such as layering, compensating controls where patches cannot be deployed, ensuring devices are are secure, uh, oh, ensuring devices that are insecure by design, including many legacy OD devices, are not directly connected to external networks, and hardening configuration settings can reduce the need for whack-a-mole, in quotes, uh, when new vulnerability is announced. We have seen clients save 30% of labor requirements on remediations when we take this action. Yeah, so same thing, IT stuff, OT stuff. Same on both sides, right? It's just different, it's a different mission and business function, right? So the things we talk about here are, are the things we've seen. Missing patches, bad configurations, um, bad account management, risky ports and services, right? I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it guys. This is RMF stuff, this is basic RMF stuff. You plug the RMF into your SDLC process, and then you plug your, the cybersecurity framework into your instant response process. Same sets of controls, same sets across the board. You build security into your environment. You have a organization-wide risk management process that uses the same functionality across all of your assets, and it gets you 90% of the way there. The controls are there. Come on, folks, the controls are there. Just got to put them in place. You got to think about engineering the solution, right? Step four, bring OT personnel onto security teams. Industrial companies have also have the opportunity to reshape security leadership, especially as remote work um, has perhaps freed up some of the plant responsibility of OT personnel. Our industrial clients have seen great success in shifting OT heads into cybersecurity leadership roles. For example, the OT leader of a Fortune 500 client who is now the head of cybersecurity architecture across both IT and OT brought unique perspective uh, to the problem and developed truly creative solutions, achieving efficient and effective security through combined IT-OT management. I, mm, you kind of lose me on this last one, guy. You lose me. I see your point of bringing OT people in to advise the security team. I've seen this go horribly wrong. When I first got out of the Army, I went to work for a company that was a, they don't exist anymore, so I don't mind talking about them. They, they were a brokerage house, a financial service company. And they grew so fast, they, the IT portion expanded so fast, they didn't have leadership for the IT team. Now, obviously, we're not talking OT, we're talking IT, same thing. So they took a bunch of managers from the finance side, brokers, people's stockbrokers. They were leaders on the stockbroker side. They're great leaders on the stockbroker side. They pulled them out of that environment. They dropped them in the IT environment. They said, now lead these big IT teams. 
And they couldn't do it because they didn't understand all the different pieces that have to go together. They didn't understand the basics of IT. I think, you know, you pull an OT guy out, even if he's a leader, even as a senior leader on the OT side, and you drop him into cybersecurity, how, how, how is, you know, especially what they, what they say, uh, head of cybersecurity architecture. He's the head of cybersecurity architecture. Just pulled out of OT, dropped into cybersecurity architecture, go do it. Lead the team. I can see him advising, but not leading. That's that's a position you come in, you, you, you bust your chops as an ISO. But maybe you can start start in the help desk. You bust your chops in the help desk. You learn all, learn all that stuff. You become an ISO. You beat up as an ISO. You learn all this stuff. You become an ISI, an information system security engineer. You learn all that. You become a security architect. And then finally, after 15, 20 years of being in IT and and 13 years of being in security, understanding security architecture, how things hook together, how different things have to work to be secure, and now you're you're going to be the head of cybersecurity architecture. And they bring this guy from outside that knows nothing about security, and they drop him in the head, the head of cybersecurity and architecture, on, not only on OT, but on IT environments as well. I think that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. What's this guy's name? Uh, John Livingston, I'm going to call you out on that one, man. That's a bad move. That number, number four, bring OT personnel into security teams. I see bringing them in as, come in, tell us more about OT, how OT works. That's the same thing as back in the day, the, the IT folks, the security folks had to learn business. You have to learn, you know, so many great cybersecurity leaders have MBAs so they can talk to the business folks. They can speak their language. The business folks are never going to learn IT. They're never going to learn security. So we have to learn how to talk to them. If you're, if you're in government, you're, you're in a different organization. The same thing. You have to learn what's going on, on the operational side of the house so that you can speak to them so you know what the mission is. These guys coming from, from OT into cybersecurity, they don't, they don't know it. They probably don't want to know it. And when they come in, they're going to come in. As I've seen in the past, they're going to come in with that mentality. I saw the mentality of a broker. You'd have a, a senior leader. Or even a mid, I've seen it at middle management, they would come in every day, they would look at their their IT team at the time, they would go in their office, they'd shut the door and they'd do trades all day because that's what they know. They don't know the IT team, they don't know, they can't run that. I am challenging you guys, tell me, do you think a guy from operations that only knows operations, maybe he's excellent at operations, can be dropped in not just to advise the security team, but to run security architecture across both IT and OT. Oh, man. Become head of information security after years. Then another, click, then another user clicks on a malicious link. Big compromise, then you go back to the help desk. Yeah, you are ultimately responsible. You set the tone, you set the pace. Um, I've seen so many places. Alex, you've seen, you've been around, you've seen them too. I rolled into one organization. They're only, they're only, and, and they were, they were, they were, I'll just say they're critical infrastructure. <laughs> you, you go to work there, you did user computer security training when you started with the company. You had to go through essentially a PowerPoint deck. You go through a PowerPoint deck. You answer a few questions, like five or 10 questions on it. And that was the entirety of the security training you were gonna get in your career at that company. If you're there a year, if you're there 10 years, if you're there 20 years, you do that one cybersecurity training and that's it. When you're, you're, when you're the, the head of information security and you allow that to happen, you're breeding that. I get you, Alex, I, I get you. They, you're always going to have that user. That's why you, 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 you know, a lot of people, we fight this. We fight this day in and day out. And you go, well, why do we have the end user sign this form? You know, they, they read the end user agreement. It says I'm not going to click the suspicious links. It says I'm going to do my training. It says I'm going to, you know, not share my passwords. Why do we make people do that? They're going to do what they want anyways. 
And why when when they sign into the the system and it says, hey, you're gonna you're gonna you're about to access the system. Make sure that you have authorization to be here. Do you are you supposed to be here? And they have to click yes. And we go, you know, the bad guys not the bad guys don't care about that. That's not what those documents are in place for. That's not what the end user agreements for. That's not what that splash screen is for. That splash screen is for this, Alex, right, right, right there. That that end user agreements for when that user clicks the link, and they go chasing down the the information security officer, and they go, hold on. Every year we do end user training. We talk about clicking the links. We send out uh, monthly or quarterly notices about phishing attacks. We have that little phishing link in our email. Um, this user that clicked the link, they agreed to, to doing training and they agreed to watch out for malicious links. They agreed to all this stuff. Um, and they're under the direct supervision of another manager. That's that isolation. That's what protects the security folks from the end user clicking. But you're right. <laughs> In the end, if the organization says it's still your fault, Alex, you're the you're the head of information security, you gotta go back to the help desk, then you're you're probably updating your resume and you're moving on anyways. Um, securing the human. It's coming across. Coming across. We gotta wait for it to hit the there we go. Securing the human. That that's yeah. Who did those series? There's a there's a um series of books. Stealing the network, I think stealing the internet, stealing the person, something like that. Securing the human is hard. It's hard to secure the human. But think there is technical, you know, the egress filtering. There's 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 um, malware protection you can put on the system. There's threat intelligence you can put in place. It's what budget do you fight for? That's part. That's half of being in cyber leadership is fighting for budget. I am. Had I known, had I known how much your day is spent in meetings and fighting for budget and all that stuff, sometimes maybe it is better just to stay on the help desk. SANS, yeah, SANS has some awesome training. The problem, and here, it, okay, get my, my soapbox out, put my soapbox down here. SANS, riddle me this, SANS. If I go to a SANS training event, SANS Virginia Beach, SANS DC, SANS Vegas, whatever. If I go there and I go to a classroom that you had to pay for, and I listen to that instructor that you had to pay to be there, and I pay seven or $8,000 for that class, which is still staggering, SANS, your, your amount of money. Uh, and again, you're an org, you're non nonprofit or not for, not for profit. Seven grand, okay, okay, well, at least, okay. I'm in a week-long course. They got to pay this guy to be here. They got to pay for the room, all that stuff. Okay, uh, I can kind of justify that. But you guys know, you and I know, they're, they're SANS online. And SANS can take that same presentation. They record it while the guy's briefing it. Take all the, the show notes, the, the, the materials, they put them online. And then they offer it as SANS on demand. It's on the internet. So okay, you got I get it. You gotta pay for the internet connection, you gotta pay for data transfer, you gotta pay to host it. I get all that. But that same course that I go to in person and the same course online on demand is they're both seven thousand dollars. I'm I'm not I'm getting the the disconnect. And I Alex, I'm with you. SANS is probably some of the best training you'll you'll get out there. I put I put it um, offensive security. I'll put up against it every day. OSCP, OSCE, for five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. I think a thousand bucks now. You can get OSCP. That's with the labs and everything. I'll put that up against any SANS training, OSCP or OSCE. Any training, but SANS is good. SANS is good. It's just how can you say you know you're nonprofit, not for profit, and and general training is you know three to five thousand dollars a month or a week. And yours is seven thousand, and if it's online, it's seven thousand as well. Um, not to mention the insider threat issues with end users. Uh, we should give up and concede to the bad guys. You got it. It's a fight, Alex. That's why we're here every morning. We're not not dragging us down. We got it. This is what we fight for. We fight to get these things right, to fix these things, to to have a common thread moving forward, Bill. 
<laughs> I'd have to sell a kidney to do a SANS course. They are expensive. Because think about it. I like, personally, given my schedule, uh, back when I was younger, I used to go to, love to go to the, on, the, the on-site courses. SANS courses on-site. They were awesome to go to. You're in a room of people. You get your laptop there. Everybody's thinking the same way. Great instructor. Has a ton of of information. They put out some of the best information you're ever going to hear. Um, you're in there and you, you're going for it. Now with my schedule, it's just easier to do the on-demand stuff, which you, you lose some of that. You, you, when you do on-demand, you obviously lose a little bit of that. They've got to make up for it somehow. They've got to make up for that. that they write. I don't see it in their on-demand stuff. Um, it is some of the best training. I would, you know, if you don't have the money, I would do offensive security. Um, they've, got, they've got a bunch of stuff. Even if you're not going to go into pen testing, if you do the OSCP, um, essentially hacking with Cali, they cover so much stuff. If you're somebody on the blue team side um, and you go in there, you take that course, you can come out eyes wide open. You know so much more about what the attacker is doing so that you can defend. Um, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a good course. It's a good course. It's a good course. And truth, truth in, you know, full disclosure, I will be before the end of the year. In this quarter, I'll be taking both the SANS course and OSCP. Um, yeah. So, are there flexible? I don't know, Alex. I've, I haven't ever looked in the flexible payment plans. Are they flexible? Or are they? Is that in jest? Because I know a lot of times you're tongue in cheek. Um, I've never actually seen their flexible payment plans. Um, and I like this comment. Sand still cheaper than a week at Disney for a family of five. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, not. I'm not saying they don't have good training. Sands does have good training, but a lot of people have good training. Um, so, but we got you had to train. Got it. Got it. You got to have that budget. And that's we start cutting when when they start cutting the budget. This is some of the first things that go. Is your training budget? You have to train your people. I, that, that's the old saying when they're fighting, you know, the like the head of HR and the CEO are arguing over training. And the CEO says, what if we train these people and they get educated and they go off and leave? And the HR guy, you know, it's, it changed the people out. But HR says, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? It's a good question. You know, now you got unqualified people doing it. And even if they're the best qualified person when they come in the door, over a year, they, that's a whole new year of stuff. You know. You know, I got a poll question for you folks, either in the comments below or in if you're if you're listening live, I'd love to hear your comments live. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are you guys doing on or what do you know? Maybe now I don't want to talk about your organization. If if you're looking at container security, what are you doing for container security? Do you know container security? Is your organization moving towards containerization of application in any way? Uh, and don't, I mean, I don't want you to give away, obviously, any information you shouldn't, anything you shouldn't talk about. But in general, do you see a move towards containers, um, like Docker containers, Kubernetes, that kind of stuff? Are you moving to, to containerized apps for efficiency and for security? Great security can be offered in containerization. Let's see. Need to be some huge multinational cyber like CyberEcon to send all your staff to SANS. I wish we were that point. I'm just trying to get some information out, folks. That's it. Our budget is, is red, usually. Well, yeah, our budget's been red. There's really no. But my big goal is get you guys all talking sharing information, put out what I can to share with you guys. Containers, most important tech, InfoSec people know now. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. So here's, here's technology, Alex, you got a great point. Tech containers are the most important technology that InfoSec people need to know, and you need to know it now, you need to know it today. If you got, if you got 30 minutes available on your calendar day, go out to YouTube and 
find something good on containers. If you don't know what containers is, it's that next level of abstraction, that next level of virtualization. Now, instead of virtualizing the whole host, a whole Linux operating system, a whole Windows operating system, we can build that as infrastructure and we can virtualize just a container that holds the application and we put the boundaries around that application. That is great security, right? We can have this thing in a box. We can have an application running in a box and we can put protections around the outside. We, we can sell this to the operational side. We sell this to the business side because now we say, we spend all this time building this application in this container. It's in this in this container. And if you want to throw away the whole underlying stuff, you want to get rid of everything underneath it and replace it with something else, that's fine. As long as you have a, a Docker system running, then we just unplug that application, wipe everything else away, put the new stuff in there, and plug the application back in, and you're right back to work. Man, security and it. Cloud, containers, Kubernetes, etc. must know how. We just need a laundry list. Alex, I know you're, you're, there's a laundry list growing. A laundry list of stuff that you need to know to get to where we're at today. There's new people coming in. All the things you need to know. And then if you're, you're, you're working in security today, what's the stuff right now you need to know? Obviously, cloud technology. Obviously, cloud technology. That's, I, I, that's good. I think that goes without saying. Containers is big. And, and the, th the problem is, you know, how do you secure all these containers? How do you make sure they're secure? So if, if you go out and you look at something like CIS, the Center for Internet Security, and they've got benchmarks, you can get a benchmark for these, or you can go out to DOD. If you're on DOD, you can get a STIG for Docker. Um, we can secure Docker. So we secure Linux, then we secure Docker, and now we're, all we're left is that container. And if we're following the model that we hammer it again. If we're following the model that NIST has put together, we inherit those controls from those lower systems, right? We inherit the organizational controls, and now that we have this application in a container, we can say, from Linux, I'm going to get controls from the Linux operating system. I'm going to inherit those. I'm going to inherit some controls from the Docker, and then whatever's left is what I've got to implement. I mean, that's what I'm saying. But, folks, we're coming to the bottom of the hour. I know folks got to get off to work. I appreciate you spending your time here this morning. I do. Um, we do have, we do have to talk about our water cooler talk of the day. And you see this guy here, doop, 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 over there by the like and subscribe button. So if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe. That's a good chance to hit that. Hit the subscribe. Hit the bell to be notified when we go live. Share with your friends. Comment below. Like this video. All those things help me. Um, but you guys need to know what day it is today. It's International Coffee Day. And you might be saying, Hold on. You are full of crap. We just had coffee day the other day. And you're right. A couple days ago, we had, on the 29th, we had National Coffee Day. This is International Coffee Day. If you want to know the difference between the two, I threw a link in the bottom, in the show notes below. You can go out and say, what is the difference? These articles called National Coffee Day versus International Coffee Day. What's the difference between these two things? What in the heck is going on? That article will tell you what the difference is. Yeah. October 1st. Always October 1st. Always October 1st. Um, International Coffee Day. So that's what I got to leave you guys with. Uh, Bravos would tell you, go out and get some. I'm going to tell you, take care of your friends, your family, coworkers, and your organization. As always, we're here to take care of each other. This is a community of security, risk, and cyber people we're building. If you haven't joined our community, we'd love you. Love to have you in. We love to hear your, hear your input every morning, 7.30 East Coast time. We're back up on the podcast, so it's available on iTunes and all the other places you can download your uh, audio tracks from. Download your MP3 if you want to listen to this without the video track, without being able to see this cup of Java over here. That's up to you, man. But... Glad you could be here this morning. Glad to see the crew here. Solid crew. We always have a standard, standing group of people that always take the time to be here and share their information. Sharing with the world. Sharing is caring, guys. So, till tomorrow morning, take care of your friends, your family, coworkers, your organization. Take care of each other. And we will see you bright and early tomorrow, 730 East Coast time. 
right here on YouTube, front slash cyber dash recon for the news.